listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. everybody doing this morning? Doing well, I hope. Uh, we are in the midst of uh, a season for us as a church that uh, I, I always get excited about this time of year when we set aside this time and we uh, seek the Lord together as a church. And this year I feel especially um, Excited seems too weak of a word. Anxious seems like a sin. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm especially uh, looking to what the Lord is doing in this season and this time. Um, we have uh, set aside this time, and, and part of what we're doing right now is, is looking through this passage in Isaiah chapter 61. But another piece of what we're doing right now is, is we're fasting together as a church. And so uh, if you're here and you're kind of coming back, this is the season for us where a lot of our uh, college students kind of start coming back to Spokane after kind of Christmas break. And I just have a few quick things I want to throw out to, to kind of just in general to our church right now. If you're here, you're visiting, this is your first time here. Um, don't feel pressured to kind of jump into things like fasting. We're not a church that like demands that you fast to be a part of our church. Okay, so let's just get that awkward moment out of the way real fast. Uh, not a part of the uh, requirements to be a part of Sozo Church is to fast. That's not it at all. Uh, we've got a slide that'll show you some ways that you can fast here, some different methods of fasting. And we have this uh, card that you can grab from any one of our hosts at the end. Uh, actually, they're back on the table. We're a well oiled machine around here. Uh, they're back on the table. This is just a little guide, help you with the fasting, helps you. You can fill out the back, some, some questions to keep yourself and others accountable. But if you're visiting with us, don't feel pressured into that. I believe that there's something in these messages for everybody. Amen? So it's not required that you fast to get anything out of, to get anything out of this. We just believe that there is something for you. If you're a college student or just been away for the holidays and you're coming back, don't worry about what you missed. Okay, jump in and let's see what God can do in the remaining time. And then uh, for those of you who are have been a part of the fasting, I just want to address something. Uh, if you quote-unquote messed up this week, let's say you, you took a bite of a big, fat, juicy cheeseburger without realizing it, and then you were one bite in, so you just finished it. Um, <laughs> don't worry about that. Don't worry. There's grace. Amen. Come on. It's not about, it's not about some sort of weird uh, seeking of perfectionism, but rather it's, it's about seeking the Lord and uh, being a part of what he's doing right now. Amen. All right, so we are going to uh, go ahead and jump, and I've got a few verses I want us to read together first, some opening verses just to kind of lay the groundwork for this morning, and then we're going to jump straight into Isaiah 61 after this. So if you've got your Bibles, you might want to jump to Isaiah 61, but we're going to look at these opening verses as soon as they get to the screen. (laughs) Psalm 34, verse 7, it says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Amen? Amen. Next, I believe we have Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. It says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then finally, we have Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 19. It says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And let's jump right into Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, And the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor 
and the day of the vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to bring to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word and for your grace. God, I thank you that you are a living, active God who who is set it in his heart to engage in and respond to his people. You have set before us an open invitation to draw near to you. You say that you are waiting for us to draw near to you, that you would then respond by drawing near to us. It's an open invitation. It's your invitation to us. And so, God, we cry out. We, we, we ask you, God, to come and to draw near to us as we draw near to you. We ask for the grace to respond to your invitation, God. And come and meet with us. God, come and speak to us. God, come and and give us, Lord, the grace to hear you, the grace to receive your word. But Lord, God, above these, I ask for the grace, Lord, to, to do your word, to be obedient to your word. And Lord, we thank you for your word. And God, we do. We ask that we would know your love and your affection for us. God, we ask that you would show us your heart. God, transform us ever more into your image. Make us more like Jesus. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Come on, everybody said? Amen. Amen. So, I have a confession. Um, I am a horrible driver. Like, seriously, I'm really, really bad. In the first six months of me having my driver's license, I didn't get my license until I was 18. Before that, um, we won't talk about why I drove. Um, but, um, I got my license when I moved back to the States, uh, it, when I was 18 years old and, uh, within the first six months I had racked up about $5,000 in damage to other vehicles and a little over a thousand dollars in, in tickets, all driving tickets, speeding, cutting off a cop. Um, not smart things to do. I, I'm not, I'm not a great driver. On top of that, um, I am, I am horrible when it comes to a sense of direction. I am missing that piece of my genetic makeup, apparently. I get lost very, very easy. For me, I don't look at it as a negative. I look at it as an opportunity to have great adventures. I get lost driving all over the place. I, I'm the kind of person, they say there's two kinds of people when it comes to driving places. There's the kind that, that kind of uh, goes by this weird internal sense of direction that can just kind of be dropped in the middle of nowhere and find their way somewhere. And then there's those of us without that genetic you know, piece that have to rely on things like um, r- landmarks and routes. I have routes to get everywhere I need to go, and if that route is blocked somehow, I am lost. I could be two blocks from my house probably, but if the route is not the same, I'm utterly and totally lost. And so this has caused in uh, my amazing marriage with my amazing wife for her to have to drive even when I'm driving. <laughs> Does anybody know what I'm saying? I mean, like, I, I, I will be in the driver's seat. I have, my keys are in the ignition. My foot is on the gas. My hands are on the wheel. But if my wife does not direct me, we are lost. And I remember uh, early on in our marriage, this frustrated me. It frustrated me that she did not trust me to drive. Except that we would get lost if she did not trust me to drive. And I remember getting really frustrated one time when she was saying, you, you, you turn right here. And I, I remember getting very frustrated and in and, and anger and in frustration, I said, who's driving? She said, you are sort of. <laughs> <laughs> and then I missed our turn and realized I, I needed to let her drive. I want to talk to you this morning and ask Who's driving in your life? We, we talked last week about thinking. We talked last week about the way that God has a way for us to think. And this week I want to talk about the fact that God has a way for us to feel. 
Now, just in, in the sake of review, for the sake of review, I want to just go over real fast. Uh, Isaiah 61, we understand that this is, this is the passage that in Luke, Jesus reads when he stands up in the temple and he, he declares the purpose of his ministry. He says, I've come, and he opens up Isaiah 61 and he reads this. And so we understand that this is the mission statement. The work of Jesus in our lives is what is laid out for us here. And what I need us to understand is this, that there is, there is real, genuine impartation of God's power in the message of Jesus, that is, in the gospel. I need to hear a good amen from our people. Okay, there is, there is a need in an, uh, for us to understand that when we receive and respond to the gospel, it ought to bring about real, genuine transformation in our life. What I mean by that is there is real help for your real problems. Let's say that again. There's real help for your real problem. What I mean is real help. There's not potential help. It's not try Jesus and see if he works. If you've tried Jesus before, you missed the point. Okay, Jesus is not a multi-level marketing scheme. Jesus is not some kind of weird pseudo uh, uh, self-help program. Jesus is not some kind of buddy who will just be with you while you go through hard times. Rather, Jesus brings about a real, genuine help and for your real problem, not your symptoms. See, too often as as people, we want a band-aid on our broken leg. We fall over, snap our leg, it leaves a little tiny cut on the surface, and we go, just, just flop a band-aid on it. It doesn't matter that my leg's doing this, just slap a band-aid on it, I'll be good. We're, we're only interested in surface-level stuff. When Jesus has no interest in altering surface-level issues, he will bring about genuine, real help for your genuine, real problem. This happens from what we see here in Isaiah as well as the rest of Scripture, through this process that we're calling the exchange. He says in in Isaiah 61, verse 3, let me get back there, I already was fast-forwarding to other verses. Isaiah 61, 3, he says he's going to give us a beautiful headdress instead of our ashes, the oil of gladness instead of our mourning, his garment of praise instead of our faint spirit. Last week we talked about this whole idea of of a a beautiful headdress instead of ashes being a a picture, a type of our thinking patterns, that that ashes represent a dead, dying, remorseful, uh, a sinful way of thinking, and this beautiful headdress is a renewed right way of thinking. We saw that right thinking is Bible thinking. It's not thinking the way I want to think. It's not thinking the way you want to think. It's thinking the way the scriptures teach us to think. And as we do that, we are planted in him and we bear much fruit for him. Amen? This week, we're going to talk about emotions. This week, we're going to talk about this whole idea of exchanging our mourning for his gladness. Now, before we jump too far into this, let me just throw out here real fast that um, the word gladness is the exact same word in Hebrew as joy. Everybody say joy. So I may just slip occasionally and use the word joy instead of gladness, and please don't stone me or email me afterwards. So, so he says he's going to give us joy instead of mourning. He says he's going to give us a new way of thinking. He's going to give us a new way of feeling because he is here to bind up our brokenness, to, to, uh, to, to come and to, to, to bring freedom to our bondage and victory to our battle. Amen? And this is going to happen through teaching us a new way of thinking and a new way of feeling. So let's look at joy. Joy is different. Gladness is different than happiness. We've talked a lot about joy here. Joy, I think, is one of the foundation pieces. We believe that God wants us to be filled with joy. Three of you agree with me. That's enough for me. He he desires us to be filled with gladness, to be filled with joy. This word oil here, I find it interesting. I I had to look up this this whole oil. So we we looked at, it was a beautiful headdress that that had a meaning here. I wondered if oil had a meaning. So as I was studying out this word oil, literally the word oil comes from two roots in Hebrew. One that means fatness or fullness and the other one that means to, to apply medicine. And I think these are both appropriate when we talk about God's new way of feeling. There is, a, there is a way for us to feel. There is joy that he desires to give us that is not surface level, but is fullness. There are, your joy ought to be a, a fatness, but let me make sure we understand this. Joy and happiness are not the same. You don't have to be happy to be filled with joy. I am not promoting or presenting you a, a gospel or a, a, a way of living out with Jesus where you have to slap on a fake Christian smile all the time. Those kind of people, if I'm going to be honest with you, they drive me a little nuts. 
but rather joy is a deep down satisfaction, pleasure, and delight who finds its foundation and basis not on external situations or circumstances, but on the abiding knowledge of God and his nature. See, joy finds its root in who God is. Happiness finds its, its root in our external situations. You can be going through hell and still be joyful. You can be weeping and still be joyful. You can have, hear me on this, you can have your world fall apart around you and still be joyful. There's a fullness that needs to come. Now, mourning is an interesting word. Mourning is our response of, 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 of sadness, of sorrow. When we feel like we have been disappointed or, or, or have lost something. It's the grief and the regret we feel when we believe that our experience isn't what it should be, all of a sudden we, we open the door to mourning, to regret, to grief, to bitterness. Bitterness, when it, when it begins to take root in us, mourning, when it begins to take root in us, it, it begins to churn, it begins to, to, to come up within us. What ends up happening is it shows itself, I, I love you, but it shows itself in bitterness, in sarcasm, in an ambiguous attitude toward the things of God. Well, you know, kind of, sort of, but not really. Well, you know, that's kind of maybe... You know, I'm just trying to get through life and I kind of sprinkle some Jesus on my food because I like it a little salty. This kind of, this kind of would-be approach to, 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 to the Lord and to the things of God and to the kingdom and to the message of the gospel. But, but joy comes and joy fills us with hope. I need you to get that, that mourning, living in a life of mourning is not spiritual. It is not maturity. Well, I've gone through some things. See, those people that are filled with joy, they, just, they haven't experienced the loss that I have. They're kind of still immature in their faith. I've really grown in my faith, so I understand that life's just going to be crappy, and that's just I, it's because I'm spiritually mature. We may laugh at this in our hearts, but I hear it every day. Well, I would, I would trust in the Lord. I, I would be obedient to him. I would follow after the way that God teaches me to think in his word, but I've kind of been down this road before. Things didn't really work out the way I thought they would. So what that taught me was that it, the Bible's a good suggestion. But my situation's personal, so I, I'm going to hear from Jesus intimately, which is deeper and more spiritual than you people who are filled with joy at the simplicity of his word. Now the reality is that joy is our strength according to Nehemiah 8 verse 10. The strength that you need to obey God's word comes from the deep, abiding, and residing joy that happens when we trust in him. Those who hope in God cannot be in a hopeless situation. I'm going to say that again. Those whose hope is in the Lord cannot be in a hopeless situation because our God does the impossible consistently and constantly. Those people who say, yeah, but God didn't do right by me. You ought to rejoice at that. The fact that we have sinned ever and have not died instantly ought to be a cause for us to be very happy that God has not given us what is our just due. Brother, we stand before a gracious and a good God. What I need you to understand is this. Why, why do I say, why do I believe that our joy is our strength? I want to I unpack that here a little bit this morning. I need you to get that our joy is our strength because our joy is found in Jesus. If you've got your Bible, I, uh, let's go to Psalm chapter 16. Psalm 16. Um, this wasn't originally part of, of what I was going to talk about this morning, but while we were praying together on Thursday night, all of a sudden, I'm in prayer, and I'm, I'm just praying for us as a church. I'm praying for us as, as a people, and, and all of a sudden, God just dropped this chapter in my heart. I grab my Bible. I, I always pray with my Bible near, because that's the way that God predominantly speaks to me, is directing me to random passages in the Bible. And uh, grabbed my Bible, pulled it aside, and, and began to read this, and this just jumped out and grabbed my heart. I, uh, Psalm 16, verse 5, it says, The Lord is my chosen 
portion and my cup. You, speaking of, to God, you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Can I unpack that for you? He's saying, look, God, you are who I'm after. You're who I want. You're my portion. You're my cup. You're my desire. I love this, this, this verbiage, this picture. He says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. What he means is this, the path of my life is going in a good place. Listen to me, if you were once far off from God like we all were, your path was heading you straight for an eternal separation from God, straight, if I can be so blunt, to hell. And now the lines have fallen for you, come on, in a pleasant place. Your ultimate inheritance is the kingdom. Your ultimate inheritance is Jesus. Your ultimate inheritance is heaven for eternity. That's a good place for Christians to say amen. We need to understand that if you're going through hell now, it's all right. Don't stop. You're not going to stay there. The lines have fallen for us in a pleasant place. There's goodness and mercy waiting for us as we continue on. Verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is, my, he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Verse 9, therefore, catch this please, therefore, now anytime you hear a therefore in the Bible, you ought to find out what it's, therefore, all my Bible people are with me. So therefore what? Because Jesus is my portion, right? Because he's, he's the one that holds the fullness of my heart, because he's the one that has set before me my path, because he's the one that has directed my inheritance, because he's the one that has chosen my ultimate destiny, therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to shield. Shield, can I just modernize that? You will not abandon my soul to hell. Or let your Holy One see corruption. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. Catch this please. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We're filled with joy because of Jesus It is Jesus who causes us to be filled with joy. You cannot be a believer and know the abiding presence of Jesus and be filled with anything other than joy. It's a byproduct. You you get Jesus, you get joy. Because in his presence, come on somebody, is a little bit of joy. No, in his presence is fullness of joy. Not like a little dabble, do you? But a lot. He is the fullness of joy. John chapter 15, we we looked at this in a series that we did a while back called Further Up and Further In. Uh, If you'll go there with me, I'm I'm not going to go through all of this. Uh, I'm not going to preach it again. You can find it on our website or on iTunes and our podcast if you want to kind of dive a little bit deeper into this. John chapter 15, verse 1. I need you to get this idea that Jesus is, come on somebody, Jesus is our joy. Joy isn't another thing. Jesus is joy. Why is Jesus our joy? Because it's all about Jesus speaking here. John 15 verse 1. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Catch this. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Catch this, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, here's the big point. 
These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. How do we abide, how do we exchange our mourning for his joy? We talked last week, how do we exchange our, our, our ashes for his beautiful headdress? We do it by, by learning and following and thinking biblically. How do we exchange our, our mourning for his joy? We abide in Jesus. You rest in Jesus. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? Super fast, super short, as simple as I can do it. You put all of your faith, all of your hope, all of your love for your present, for your past, for your future, for your temporal life, and for your eternal destiny. You put all of it, you put all of your trust, all of it, in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Well, I trust Jesus for this part of my life, but I trust myself for this part. You are not abiding in Jesus. You will not know his joy. Well, I trust him with my, with my finances, but I've got to fix my marriage. You are not going to experience the fullness of his joy doing it that way. Well, I, I, trust, him, I trust him on Sunday mornings, but on Monday morning when I go to work, I've got to trust myself. Because you know the Bible says the Lord helps those who help themselves. Uh, no, it doesn't. We made up that verse. It's not in the Bible. Are you sure? I'm really sure. Positive? Positive. We abide in him. We rest in him. We trust in him. The issue is, if we're going to be honest, the issue comes down to to abide in him means to trust in him. To trust in him means to obey him. And what we read at the very beginning where we talked about the fact that our, 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 our spirit is willing Come on, but our flesh is weak. This is where emotions come into play. And I want to just mention here before we go any further, emotions and thinking uh, have a a, a very close, intimate relationship. I would even say that that your emotions and your thinking are are Siamese twins, are conjoined twins, if I'm going to be politically correct. They're attached at the hip. They're different. They're, they're two different things. You can, your, your thinking and your emotions are different. I'm not saying they're the same thing, but what I'm saying is they affect one another. The way you think affects the way you feel. The way you feel affects the way you think. And so we're going to unpack this a little bit today, but I need you to get that abiding in Christ is obeying Christ. You cannot tell me that, no, 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 I'm obeying him. I'm, I'm abiding in him. I'm just being disobedient to his word to me. Then you're not trusting him. Because your lack of trust is what's showing itself in your disobedience. I talked about this last week. When I stand in a pool and ask my daughter to jump to me, if she won't jump to me, why won't she jump to me? Because she doesn't trust me. She's not trusting me. When she jumps to me, when I tell her, jump jump to daddy, and she jumps, that obedience is a demonstration of her trust. Now, I need to make sure you understand this. It's about obedience, not obligation. See, obedience is about the gospel. Obedience is about an understanding that I have been reconciled to the Father through the Son and abide now with the presence of the Holy Spirit ever with me. And so I am obedient to the Holy Spirit because I love the Holy Spirit and I don't want to grieve him and I don't want him to leave me. I don't want to, I don't want to offend him and scar my heart and sensitivity to his leading. So I obey him. I'm not obligated to some external set of rules. That's religion. Obedience is about my reconciliation with God. Amen? So I, I want to I unpack this idea of our emotions and, and how our emotions and how our desires are designed by God, catch this please, to have us lead them and not them lead us. See, because God gave your emotions. Let's, let's settle this once and for all. God invested in you when he created you the ability to experience emotions. There's this idea floating around the supposed church that, that, that emotions are bad and that you ought to only ever experience things like happy. Anybody ever get this picture when you, when you kind of hear some Christians talk, when you, when, you, when you hear some people who claim to be teaching the Bible say, well, there's good emotions and bad emotions. You can't, can't get angry because that's bad. Can't get upset because that's not right. 
No, rather we see God experience a whole gamut of emotions. God is an emotional being. I know that might be weird for some of you to hear. But the Bible tells us that he, he loves us. The Bible tells us that he finds joy in us when we seek him. The Bible tells us that he is jealous for us when other things creep in and try to take the position of God in our heart. The Bible says that he gets angry. Jesus got he got pissed. He went to the temple and saw people messing with the way the temple ought to be, where the, where the idea was that there would be this place on the planet that was all about him, and we went there and sought him and, 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 and would seek his face and would offer to him our sacrifices and would cry out for the nations, and he went there and people were trying to make money off of religion, and Jesus, like, lost it. Dude makes a whip and starts smacking people. I heard some guy go, was talking to somebody about this, and he goes, well, Jesus just made the whip to scare people. He just cracked it like, like, he wouldn't hit anybody with it. No, listen to me, I believe if God makes something, he makes it with a purpose, and we all know the purpose of a whip. There are not good emotions and bad emotions. The problem is, do you control your emotions, or do your emotions control you? Because the Bible says, get angry, but don't sin. Now, if you're like me, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I get angry and all I do is sin. So what I want to try to do is I want to unpack this a little bit for us. So I'm going to read two passages and then we're going to dissect this real fast. I only have a few minutes and we need to land this plane. Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 24. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. It says, Now, this I say to you and testify in the Lord. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Pause. Walk is to have a way of life. Okay? Can we just understand that real fast? When he says, don't walk the way the Gentiles do, he's not talking about a swag. Okay? He, he's talking about, don't live your life the way the Gentiles do. Understand Gentiles. Gentiles were the picture of those who did not have a reconciled relationship with God, who, whose God was not Jesus. Can I just simplify this here? So it says you can't walk that way anymore. Verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. Catch this, to put off your old self because it belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupted through deceitful desires. Desires is kind of the biblical catch-all for our emotions. Verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and catch this, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now back up just a few pages to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So we have there the description of the old self that needs to be put off and a new self needs to be put on. Galatians 5, verse 16. It says, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Everybody say, Spirit, Spirit. Flesh. flesh. Okay, when you understand, these are being presented to us here as, as opposed to one another. You've got the Spirit that is willing, right, that Jesus talked about, and the flesh that is weak. They're contrary to one another. The Spirit desires one thing, the flesh desires another. And for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. I should have just kept reading. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For, those, for these are opposed to each other. Seriously, I should have just kept reading. To keep you, catch this though, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Anybody ever experience the desire to want to do things, but the inability to do that thing? But if you are led by the Spirit, catch that please, big, highlight, underline, circle, touch it and hit highlight on your flat screen if you're using one. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are 
evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, uh, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. By the way, that is the biblical catch-all so you can't go, I didn't do any of those things. That is the junk drawer for sin. And things like these. Because God knew if he gave us a list of all the things that were sinful, we'd find something not on the list and we'd do that. So, so and things like these is the biblical junk drawer for all kinds of depravity and sin. Because God didn't want to have to make a list that big. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Amen? Okay, so I need us to grab a hold of this. I need us to understand this. We have had here a presentation to us of the spirit and the flesh. And I need to, to, to really, as quick as I can, I don't have time to really dive into this this morning. But I need you to understand, and I have a slide for this so we can help understand it. You are made up of three parts. I want this to be helpful. I know this may be a little overly practical for some of you who need hyper-spirituality all the time, but deal with it. Um, you are made up of three primary parts. You're made up of your body, your soul, and your spirit. Now, I'm going to go through this as fast as I can. Um, if you want to get together, honestly, and have coffee or, or lunch or something and, and dive into this, I'm happy to unpack this more. If this is something you really struggle in, I would recommend getting together with myself, my wife, one of our deacons, and, and sit down and work through some of this. But let me try to help us understand this as best as I can. Your body, soul, and spirit. Now, let's unpack each of these. Your body is the physical you. It's your blood, your bones, and your organs. It's the easiest one for me to define, right? Look around. Go ahead, look around real fast. That's everybody's body. That's their physical being, right? It relates, to, it relates to the temporal, physical world. In fact, all it can relate to, all your bones, blood, and organs can relate to is the physical, external world. Five senses, that's what you, that's what you do with your body. It's, it's the thing God gave you so that you can live in this world. That's really deep, isn't it? So we have your body, it's the physical you. It deals and relates to the physical or temporal world. Then you have your soul. Okay, soul and spirit, we could argue over which should be which. I don't care. This is the words we're using because this is most often the way it's defined in the, in the scriptures. You have to look at its context to see which one it's really dealing with, soul or spirit. But soul is your mind. Or let's, let's go through it this way. Your emotions, your thoughts, and your will. So it's, it's what you feel, it's what you think, and your will is the decision-making faculty within you. Okay? Your will is that thing that makes choices. It's once a choice is made, it is made. And then your spirit is the eternal part of you. It's the part of you that did instantaneously die when sin entered your life. And it's the part that has been united with the Holy Spirit to be brought back to life. Now, here's what I need us to understand. God designed it this way, that each one of these things uh, overlaps one another and affects one another. What do I mean by that? How do you separate your thoughts from your brain? Your brain is the organ that deals with your thoughts. If you damage your brain, you can damage your thoughts. Amen? So we get that they affect one another. You're not three separate beings that are completely and utterly separate. This is a teaching that snuck into the early church that said, well, our spirits are separate from our bodies, so do whatever you want with your body and go, you know, go to Vegas and go to town, and it's fine because your spirit's united with Christ. It's a heresy, and it's not biblical. It's a heresy, and it's not biblical. Oh man. Now there's a pendulum that swings the other way that says that, well, you know, I can't eat pork because then I'll be, you know, corrupted because, you know, my body affects my spirit. So there, there needs to be an understanding in this. Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that corrupts him, but what comes out of a man that corrupts him. So we need to kind of understand the tension here, but they do affect one another. They do overlap one another in the same way that it's hard to distinguish between your brain and your thoughts, even though they are separate. It's hard sometimes to distinguish between our soul and our spirit. But what I need us to understand is this, that, that Paul teaches us that we need to be led by our spirit, not our flesh, because the flesh, in the flesh, we read in Romans, nothing good dwells. Why? Because your flesh can only see temporal and now. 
Your body is hungry. Your body wants to eat now. I want a cheeseburger because it's been a week, and I'm ready for a cheeseburger. Okay, I need to get off that. I'm... (laughs) Okay, there, 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 is, there is an understanding here that your, your, your flesh, there's nothing good in it. The things your flesh desires to do. People who are immature spiritually are still led completely by their flesh. Your, your body's desires, your body's wants, your body's urges, that's what directs you. That's what seems real to you because you've always been led that way. Your body wants something, but here's, here's the piece. Here's the part I need you to understand. Your body, your physical body, directly affects and most often directly affects your emotions. Let, let's understand this. I, what, what do we say? Well, I feel hungry. I feel like she's being mean to me. I feel like my boss doesn't like, I feel like a break today. I, I, I feel these things. So what happens is this, when you're led by your flesh, this is how you can, one way you can decipher, are you being led by your spirit or flesh? I feel this way. So your feelings begin to dictate to you how you think. You ever experienced this? I feel this way. So I begin to think that way. I don't feel like she's really treating me right. So, man, you know, the I, I, more I think about it, hello, the more I think about it, I really think that, you know, this is not really a good thing. And, you know, I, I really don't think that this is really the way my life should be. And I don't think this is the way that the, the God would really want me to live. And I don't think this is the path I should really be on. So before you know it, you make a choice. Because of the way you felt, because of the way you've thought, you now make a choice. And what the scriptures tell us, when your flesh is directing your emotions, and your emotions are directing your thinking, and your thinking is making your decisions for you, you are bringing death to your spirit. That's the old path. The problem is, we've lived that way, some of us, for a whole heck of a long time. That's just the path of our life. But Galatians is telling us here, and Ephesians alluded to it, that we need to put off that old way, put on the new way, which is to be led by the Spirit. Here's the way the Spirit leads you. The Spirit of God, the, the, the Scriptures, remember we talked about this last week, Jesus said that His Word is Spirit. So to be led by the Word and to be led by the Spirit are the same. I know that's overly too practical for some of you. But the reality is that's what the Bible teaches us. So the scripture comes to us, the spirit comes to us, directs us in the scripture, speaks to our heart and says, do this. Do you notice the scripture never calls you to feel away? The scripture directs you to make a decision. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Hello? Am I, am I speaking to the right church? The Bible calls us to obey. The Bible calls us to make a decision. The Bible calls us to be obedient. And so the scriptures call us, the, the, the spirit leads us by saying, make a decision. And then the Bible tells us, this is hopefully going to line some stuff up for some of you, to take every thought captive under the obedience of Christ, which means that if your thoughts are not in alignment with what God just called you to do, you take that thought captive. You don't think that way. I've taught my daughter something and my kids something uh, that I, I think is somewhat uh, useful here. God designed your brain in a really, 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 really amazing way. One of the things that God has designed your brain to do is to only think one thought at a time. You can only focus on one thing at a time. Now, I know girls have this weird spaghetti brain that bounces all over the place way more than guys do. And if you're like me and you have ADD, it, you know, something shiny can pull your thoughts away. But ultimately, that's proof in and of itself that you can only think of one thing. The other day, I'm trying to work. I'm sitting in my, in, in my office. I'm trying to get some work done. And all of a sudden, this thought just popped into my head. I wonder if cows have dreams. 45 minutes later, <laughs> they do. Um, and we can only think one thing. And so when we talk about taking thoughts captive, that can seem like this really weird, vague sort of thing. But what I need you to understand, it's quite practical. When you've, when you've made the decision, we say, okay, I have made my, the, the Spirit has called me to do this. The Scripture has called me to do this. Jesus has called me down this path. That's the path I'm going down. And when your brain goes, I don't think I want to. I don't care what I think I want to. That's the path I'm going down. I choose to think about the obedience that he's called me to rather than the disobedience my flesh desires. So we take our thoughts captive. Before you know it, as you're thinking a certain way, you start feeling that way. As you are feeling that way, before you know it, you are doing that thing that you thought you couldn't do before. Let me make this super, really awesomely practical for us, and then we'll land this plane. 
Let's use an example here. One of the things that we're doing in this uh, season for us, uh, this season we're calling More Than a Series, one of the reasons for that is there's a lot more going on as it relates to this series than just Sunday mornings. And one of the things that we're doing is we're gathering together on, on Tuesday mornings and Thursday nights to pray. For those of you who are part of them last week, they were amazing and they were powerful. And I was blown away and actually on Tuesday morning had to repent in front of everyone who's there because I feel like it's an area we have neglected as a church and that's wrong. So let's say the Lord is leading you and calling you to be a part of Tuesday morning prayer. Now, if you're like me, you have a beautiful wife, a comfortable bed, and a heated home. So getting up at like to be to the loft at 7 o'clock in the morning does not appeal in any way to my flesh. My flesh likes my bed. My flesh likes my wife. My flesh likes my warm home. Hello, somebody. I don't want to get up and go to the loft at 7 o'clock in the morning. It's cold. Amen. And so, so what happens is if I'm led by my flesh, I don't feel like it. So I start thinking about how cold it's going to be in my house, how cold it's going to be outside, how miserable I'm going to be in going there. And before you know it, I have made a decision, whether I realize it or not, to not go. And so I have missed out on an opportunity to bring life to my spirit. And instead I've brought death. But let's flip that. You're feeling here this morning the conviction of the Lord to be at prayer. So you make a decision. I'm going to be there. I'm going to get up Tuesday, Tuesday morning. I'm going to get up. So Monday night, you set an alarm. You've made a choice. As the thoughts begin to creep up, you say, no, 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 I'm not going to think that way. I'm going to think about what God has called me to, that I'm going to get up. Come on, somebody. I'm going to, I'm going to drive to the loft. I'm going, to, I'm going to go there. I'm going to gather with God's people. His presence is going to meet me there in a unique way because the scriptures say wherever two or more are gathered, there he meets with us in a unique and different way than he meets with me when I'm, when I'm alone. And so he's going to meet me there. He's going to speak to me there. Come on. He's going to direct my life. The lines have fallen for me. Come on. In good places, in pleasant path, I'm going to be spoken to. I'm, life is going to be brought to my spirit. Before you know it, I'm kind of actually a little bit excited about this. And all of a sudden now my emotions are beginning to pull me toward this because now I'm excited, not, 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 I'm not, you know, thinking about all the horrible things. My emotions aren't tied up in all the things I don't want, but rather my emotions are leading now and are being led by my choice, come on somebody, to go there. And all of a sudden I'm excited, I'm pumped. And before I know it, my body's waking up in the morning before my freaking alarm even goes off. And there I am bringing life to my spirit and death to my flesh. Because the Bible says anybody who's been born of the spirit puts to death the works of the flesh. Amen? Do you see the difference, the profound difference? It's not that emotions are bad. Hello? Not that emotions are bad. It's that when you allow yourself to be controlled by your emotions, those emotions bring death to your spirit. God desires you to be led by the spirit, not led by the flesh. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. There's one last piece that I want to uh, point out here. I, I mentioned this earlier that I mentioned this earlier that that word oil comes from two two different roots. One of those roots is is fullness and fatness. That oil we know adds fat to a meal, right? The other piece of of that word oil means it, oils were used as medicine in ancient times. And one of the things that God desires to do and one of the things that God's joy, his gladness brings to us is a healing emotionally. And, and I know we, we've kind of, this has been a, a, a full message already and I, I don't want to derail us, but I also don't want to deny the reality that some of us have experienced very real and very painful emotional damage. Some of us have gone through things that have wounded us. Some of us have gone through things that have scarred us. Some of us have gone through things that have affected us emotionally in very deep and real ways. And the scripture is not opposed to those things. It, is not, it doesn't tell us to pretend like they never happened and just slap on a smile. But rather, the scriptures teach us that there can be genuine, come on somebody, real healing in those areas. We talked about the fact that the brain and the thinking and our emotions are tied together. There can be, please hear me, there can be chemical imbalances in the way our brains work that can affect our emotions and can affect this. And I don't want to just pretend like none of that is happening. 
I don't want to just pretend like, well, everything, just, just be happy and your life will be great. And all you got to do is make a choice. But rather, I desire and I feel like the Holy Spirit desires to bring real, genuine healing to those issues in our hearts and in our lives. Amen? So this morning, as we enter back into worship, I want to challenge you if you struggle in areas of emotions in your life. Maybe, maybe you're somebody who needs to take medication to help deal with those. There's no judgment here on that. But I also want to, at the same time, not, not bring a, a, a spirit of condemnation or judgment toward those who may be uh, struggling in that. But at the same time, I don't want to leave you there either. There can be real healing for that. So we're going to open up the altars this morning as we do every week for, for communion, as we do every week for, for just general ministry of, of those who have needs. But specifically this morning, I feel like the Lord wants to minister to some people, to touch some people's hearts, to bring about healing emotionally. Now, it's an open call for a ministry, so don't worry. You're like, well, if I go up there, everyone's going to know I have emotional problems. Let's be real. We all have emotional problems. <laughs> but also, maybe you're just coming up for something else. We don't know. But no, I, I want to challenge you this morning. If, you, if you're struggling to, that your emotions control you, when I, when I say that, you know that's you. Your emotions control your life. Days you feel good, those are good days. Days you feel bad, those are bad days. For you, for your family, for your coworkers. I believe the Holy Spirit is here this morning and wants to bring about healing in that area of your life. We've got people who will meet you up here. Look, if they're busy, just come up. We've got more people who will come forward. Take some time, but don't, don't think that, no, 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 it's, it's good. I can just do this by myself. You are not designed to do this by yourself. God built you for community. God built you to do life with other people. And the number one delivery system and conduit for the grace of God is another believer. So Holy Spirit, I pray. God, I ask that you would just speak to us today. God, I pray for those who are here who are damaged emotionally. God, I pray for those who are, are, who've experienced hurt and pain and woundedness. God, maybe it was family members. Maybe it was, maybe it was somebody in a church. God, I pray for healing for those. Holy Spirit, we would ask that you would come and meet us. God, I pray for boldness, God, for those who've experienced a damage and a woundedness. God, in their hearts and in their lives. God, that you would give them a boldness. God, I know that it can be hard to think about when we've been hurt coming forward and and being vulnerable again. That's one of the ways the enemy keeps us in that bondage. So we come against that right now when we ask for a boldness for those who need a touch from you this morning. That they would come. That you would meet them in this place. that they would be touched by your spirit, that your healing, that, your, that the oil of your gladness, the healing of your gladness, that deep satisfaction, that deep delight, that deep pleasure in you would permeate their hearts. God, that your hope would come back.